This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Very well, mate. Not not bad at all. How about yourself? Yes, all good, thank you. Um, back on the road this week with Riv Rovers. One all draw at West Brom on Wednesday night. Got back in the uh, small hours of the morning, and then uh, back at Ewood on Saturday to oversee a dramatic win. Plenty of late goals for me this week. Plenty of rewrites, which is all fun and games. But yeah, a decent week on the road. How about you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, uh, not bad really. Been working the last five days, but managed to get out of work early to go and watch. Hopefully, League One champions elect on Saturday afternoon. Then. Covered Man United's win against Leicester this afternoon, winning that one. So, you know, it's been a weekend packed full of positivity, really. And it's been a weekend packed full of narrative, drama and storylines in the Championship as well, hasn't it? And I'm looking forward to getting our teeth stuck into that over the next hour. As always, a quick reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed and you can find that on all your usual platforms. Just search the Championship Chat podcast wherever you get your pods and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's podcast, George, we've got some breaking news, some managerial comebacks, and plenty of championship action to get our teeth into. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we'll start with the breaking news as we record, George. About 13 minutes ago, Neil Critchley's departure from Queen's Park Rangers was confirmed. One win in 12, including a 3-1 defeat to Middlesbrough at the weekend. And Neil Critchley has been shown the door by the R's. Never quite worked out, did it? It, it, was, it was one that looked not quite a marriage made in heaven on paper. And that's not necessarily a reflection on Neil Critchley's ability as a manager. But I think we saw at Blackpool that Neil Critchley particularly thrived with a team that he could tailor to be dogmatic, pragmatic, all those sort of words. It, basically, his, his skill set was for a team that he can make better than the sum of its parts, which he undoubtedly did with that Blackpool squad last season. He made them so hard to beat, resilient, Plenty of clean sheets, plenty of 1-0 wins. And coming into a much more technically gifted and better technical and quality players with Queen's Park Rangers, Elise Chair, Chris Willock, uh, Rob Dickey, different calibre of player, if we're being completely honest, different profile entirely. Could that translate? Could he adapt his style to get the most out of those types of players? Considering he obviously did that with Josh Bowler last year, you would have to say that he clearly has got some um, track record of getting the most out of talented players. Josh Bollard very much would fall in the same sort of bracket as a Chair or a Willock or a Jamal Lowe. And it just hasn't happened. Now, normally, I would be saying, even after one win in 12, you've sacked him too early. You've not given him enough time. I still think that he should have probably, maybe he could have had a bit more time, but I'm not sure this was ever going to work. And with the alarming pace at which QPR are hurling towards the bottom three, I don't blame them for making this change. I don't think drawing this out to the summer was going to help Neil Critchley, and I don't think it was going to help 
Queen's Park Rangers. I don't necessarily downgrade Neil Critchley that much in my mind when he goes for the next championship job. But what it has taught me is there is definitely a question mark over his ability to get the most out of what is a more technically gifted and natural natural ability driven squad. And I think when you if you consider where Neil Critchley's star was probably twelve months ago, I think the likes of a West Brom or a likes of uh, Norwich City would have been looking at him. I uh, appreciate Norwich were in the Premier League last year, but you know what I'm saying. They, they would have been looking at him as that that sort of level up to, to a promotion chaser. I think now, I think we'll see where he's next. It'd be interesting to see where he lands next, but I think we'll be seeing him land in a similar level job to a Blackpool um, from last season. It never looked like it was going to work out. The football just wasn't working. Defensively, they were pretty awful, which is not what you expected. I don't know if he tried to bend too much to get more out of the technical players, but they didn't look anything like the Blackpool side. They didn't look anything like QPR's normal style. And it, it just seems like a bit of a mismatch that has unfortunately ended in him losing his job. Yeah, and I think, to be honest with you, I think as we record this on Sunday night, literally, as you said, 20 so minutes since this statement's come out, I think it was one that was to be expected, you know. And this isn't just a case of being beaten 3-1 by Middlesbrough at the weekend, you know. Many teams are losing to Middlesbrough at the minute and we'll come on to them. But the, this felt like it has been bubbling for a little while, hasn't it, to be fair? The form has just been absolutely horrendous to be quite honest with you it's it's remarkable just how big a drop-off they've had and I think the three the three nil defeat in midweek against Sunderland was probably the the final straw for many QPR fans you know to have been beaten three nil at home so convincingly and so easily by a Sunderland team that you know have been a little bit inconsistent but you know you look at QPR's numbers they've taken nine points from the last 51 available it's absolutely horrific it really is horrific and when you consider they were top after the first 16 games and they've taken, as I say, nine points from the last 17 since then. It's an unbelievable drop-off. But, you know, at the time, I thought Neil Critchley going in was a really good appointment. You know, we'd seen what he'd done at Blackpool and we were all surprised when he when he ditched them to move to Aston Villa for, a, for an assistant manager's post. And, you know, when QPR has lost Michael Beale, they turned to him and everybody thought, yeah, smart appointment. They'd seen what he's done at Blackpool. But now I think we've seen, obviously, the differences with what he'd done at Blackpool. You summed it up well in kind of making teams better than probably they really are. Blackpool last season, they certainly punched above their weight for what they should have achieved. And it was very good the way that they did it. But it does, you know, kind of give an insight into what sort of manager Neil Critchley is. That In fact, that he's not really, well, you know, not really saying he's only, had, you know, one job can't completely, you know, dictate a manager's career. But... It seems, from what we've seen, these two, you know, two first two jobs, that he is more of a manager aligned with a team that is expected to be in the lower regions of the table, and you know, punching above the weight, as I said. So, he's obviously not worked out for whatever reason. But you know, QPR even prior to Neil Critchley going in, that their form had began, had started to drift. So the players as well have got to look at themselves, and you know, they've got to question it. But at the same time, you can think back and think, hang on a minute, under Mark, uh, under, under McBeal at the very beginning of the season, things were, were so rosy. And I always one tweet sticks out in my mind. I remember when we were singing the praise of QPR at the, the beginning of the season, a fan responded to our Twitter page and put, he's the manager that I've had the most trust in since Neil Warnock. And obviously look what Neil Warnock did at Loftus Road all them years ago. So, you know, things were going so brilliantly for QPR. And now all of a sudden, 
they are absolutely, you know, they're in free fall. They're spiraling out of control. They're only, you know, they're only eight points above the bottom three now. I don't think they'll go down. I think there there are teams, you know, beneath them that are more involved in this battle in terms of having not done enough over the whole season. Whereas QPR obviously got a bit of a head start at the beginning. But if they carry on in the way that they have been over the last two three months, there's a very good chance they get they could get sucked into this. But it feels like the right decision, even though you know after twelve games you you're thinking it's very very quick to axe a manager, but. How long do you leave it when you've won one of your first 12? That included, obviously, a, a cup defeat at Fleetwood, which, you know, didn't go down well. It, it's left QPR in a real mess. And for, for Neil Critchley, I don't think really can have any complaints. But the players, for me, have also got to look at themselves. You know, as I said, this this rot set in before Critchley arrived. So it's just one big mess. And, and where they go from here, I don't really know what they do from here, to be honest. I don't know if they go down the route that Huddersfield have done in a short-term point for the rest of the season. I don't think so. I don't see or why they would they necessarily to need in, to do that. You know, with a long-term vision, but where where do they sort of go? Because, you know, by the time they bring the, the next guy in, it will be in three managers since last June. You know, do, you think, do you think Chris Wilder might be interested, having been probably out of work longer than he might have expected to be? Possibly. He's certainly, you know, he's going to be the name that no doubt shoots to the top of the bookies list to begin with. He's certainly, you know, one of the more probably the more exciting set of candidates that are likely to crop up in, in the betting odds. And, you know, he's Middlesbrough, you know, his Middlesbrough days weren't great, but at Sheffield United, he proved to everybody what he could do. I mean, other names that you think of that are available now, um, Nathan Jones, obviously sat by Southampton last weekend. Will he be looking for a quick return to work? The, you know, there are there are other figures that you think of kind of associate with having managed in the championship before. Um, Lee Bowyer, he's not been back in work since leaving Birmingham, another one. So, you know, there's certainly options for them there. But I'm just looking at the bookies' odds now and they are actually up already. And Gareth Ainsworth has gone straight to the top of the pile. Obviously, the Wickham manager played for QPR during his, his playing days, been linked with them before. Would, Would that not be the him, same though? sort of problem as Critchley's had in terms of a stylistic well, possibly, point of possibly, view? Possibly, because we know what Gareth Ainsworth is doing and what he's done for years at Wickham. I mean, they're doing it again this season. They're on a real roll at the minute, Wickham, and you know they are getting the wins in that style where they're tough to beat, punching them of their weight, not you know nowhere near the biggest budget in League One, and they're doing brilliantly again year on year. But it makes you wonder what they'll do for QPR. Really does, but. It feels like they've got to get this one right wherever they do go next because their form is it's it's absolutely atrocious. It really is that the run that they've been on is absolutely horrendous, and it, I think it makes it worse when you consider what they were doing at the beginning of the season. I know obviously leave, losing your manager is a, a a big impact, but it's still the same set of players. It's still the same group, but they've won one game since the twenty second of October. I think it and sums up, doesn't the 19th it? Nineteenth of February now. It sums up from Critchley's point of view how important it is to make the right career move because yeah. one wrong club yeah, and you can you can be Reputation renowned as one of the best best managers in the league. You make one wrong career move and suddenly people quickly write you off or forget about you where you you were before that. And things can change so fast for manager. And I suppose in a manager's world, you're only as good as your last job. Um, in terms of the job that Michael Carrick is doing at Middlesbrough, George, absolutely outstanding. Uh, we were planning to go big on them in this section, but obviously the, the breaking news has kind of took over there. Um, but a big win for them. They won 3-1, of course, and another brace for Tuba Akpom. A lovely header from a, a, a brilliant cross from Dan Barlow, who came in for his full debut. 
Um, the second was a penalty, which I thought was not a penalty. I thought it was harsh. I think Tim Robinem gets quite a lot of the ball. Um, Neil Critchley thought Neil Critchley thought about thought the same as that. Not that it matters much now. And although QPR got back into it briefly when Chair pulled the Hannibal, um, Riley McGree made sure of the points. And Borough, they're just cutting through teams like a hot knife with butter at the minute, aren't they? They're, they're not the best team defensively in the league. You can get at them, to, especially on transition. But they'll just outscore you. And they are scoring for fun. They've scored 34 goals in 17 matches since Michael Carrick took over. Only Burnley have scored more than that with 37 in that time. And if they're going to catch Sheffield United, which of course is the big question on everyone's lips, they're going to do it by scoring more goals than the opposition. There's four points, of course, between the two teams with Sheffield United still holding a game in hand. And it's all of a sudden we've got an automatic promotion race. We certainly do. And let's not forget the last time we we spoke on this was was last Sunday. Um, Sheffield United have beaten Swansea on the Saturday. Middlesbrough won at Cardiff. Then, of course, they met in midweek. We've not recorded an episode since then. Then we've had the weekend's game. So, you know, we've had two full slates of, of, of fixtures since we last spoke. And six the, points uh, swing in Borough's favour the since then. The situation has changed drastically. As you say, six points in Borough's favour with the Blades losing twice. And Middlesbrough at the moment, it is a case, can anybody stop them? That It's literally a parallel with what Nottingham Forest did last year. Only Middlesbrough... I think Sheffield United are a better team than what Bournemouth were. I think they're, yeah, they're chasing down a trickier, and, trickier and team. And Middlesbrough as well as that, let's not forget, they started their recovery later in the season than Forrest did under Steve Cooper. It was September when Steve Cooper went into Forrest. It was late October when mm-hmm. Michael Carrick went into Borough. So, you know, it's possibly even better. But like you've said there, even though they've struggled to keep clean sheets under Michael Carrick, they are scoring goals. They've scored three goals in each of the last four games now. And, you know, they've had a... They've had a Crop of fixtures in there where they've been strong favourites, but the, the ability to go to Bramall Lane and do what they did on, on Wednesday night was was impressive, to say the very least. And reading comments from Sheffield United fans, they had no complaints. Borough were far superior on the, on the evening. And like I say, can anybody stop this Middlesbrough team now? They've won 12 of the last 14 games. That's title-winning form. It's, it's ridiculous, the, the numbers that they're producing. And I think, the obviously, the, the big... Part of this, and everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna look at it, everybody's gonna talk about it, and rightfully so, is the form of Chuva Akpom. I mean, the numbers this guy is producing, I still wish what the odds were on him to win the Golden Boot back in July. I think if you'd have put a fiver on him, you'd be coming for probably about 20 grand by now. Was, you know, he crossed nobody's mind that he was gonna be even in contention for the Golden Boot, but his numbers under Michael Carrick are ridiculous 18 appearances under him, 16 goals in League and Cup. It's absolutely phenomenal numbers. But as well as that, as we saw in midweek, Cameron Arsh has been chipping in. Riley McGree's proven a good source of goals from midfield. So they've got the ability to chip in from all angles. And Carrick is, like you say, defensively, they're not that sound. But they are producing such good consistency in an attacking output that they are going to be capable of beating most teams. And if you compare... The, the, the two teams' fixture lists over the next couple of months or so as we approach the running. On paper, you would say Borough have got the easier crop of games. Yep, easy. Probably not a word you should associate with the championship, but with the way Middlesbrough are playing right now, they are making it look easy. That's the thing. So I don't think you can rule Middlesbrough out catching Sheffield United. You mentioned the game in hand the Blades have got, which they do. But of course, with a game in hand, as it's always said, you've got to win it, you've got to take advantage of it. So for Borough, I think, you know, if they just keep ploughing away, doing what they're doing, control what they can do, 
they should be in with a chance because they just look absolutely formidable at the moment. And I mean, 12 wins in 14 games, it's just absolutely sensational numbers. And just, you know, it's kind of a quirky little stat as, as we record this today. Four months ago today, Middlesbrough climbed out of the bottom three with a 4-1 win at Wigan. Four months later, they've won 12 in 14 and four points off third. It's just an absolutely unbelievable transformation. You know, had Michael Carrick come in sooner, who knows where they'd be right now. But at the moment, they're absolutely flying. They're looking really, really good. And Sheffield United, for me, they're going to have to seriously tread carefully and, and up, the, up the ante. The other side of this coin is, of course, Sheffield United, who were beaten 3-2 by Millwall in the early kickoff. Back-to-back defeats for the Blades. And suddenly, as I say, the gap is four points, albeit they have a game in hand. They've conceded three goals in two games as well. And defensively, I thought they were particularly sloppy at the Den. I have some sympathy for the goals they conceded at Bramall Lane. I think a few of them were very good individual play. I think John Egan probably should have done better for the Akpom equaliser. I think there's obviously a massive touch of fortune with the Archer one where Norwood Sly tackled it into his path. And I think the third one, you have got an argument whether there's a foul on James McAtee in the build-up and whether sufficient advantage was played. At the Den... Fotheringham has to do so much better for the first goal. Bradshaw just fires it past him at the near post. Fotheringham was so good last season. I do think his levels have slightly dipped this season. I still think he's proven he's a championship goalkeeper, but I'm not sure he's been as good this season as he was last. I think the defence in front of him has excelled, but I'm not sure him on an individual basis has done quite as well, and he should do better for the first goal. Equally, the third goal, really poor marking by, I think it's Ahmed Hodzic in the middle, where Bradshaw, he's got him. And then he turns around, ball comes across the face of the goal and he's nowhere near him. And that's poor from him, who's, again, he's been absolutely excellent. He's been one of the best centre-backs in the division, but he switched off and he should have done better in that moment. So whilst I had some sympathy for some of the goals they conceded in midweek, it happens, you can't keep ones and noughts every single week. I thought they were really poor defensively at the den. They should have done better. And suddenly there's a top two race in, 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 in situ. The question is, can Paul Heckingbottom pick them back up? I think you'd have to say yes, based on the evidence we've seen previously. He obviously did that so well last season. He picked up a squad that was pretty broken, really, an ageing squad. People had written off a lot of players and suddenly turned them into automatic promotion contenders, certainly promotion contenders. This season, let's not forget how good they've been and how consistent they've been. When they've had blips, they've generally bounced back. If you're going to say what's probably the worst fixture you wanted after getting beat by Middlesbrough at home is a trip to Millwall at the Den at half past 12 on a Saturday. So again, not sympathy, but I'm not going to blow this out of proportion. I still think Sheffield United are firm favourites and I would still be putting my money on Sheffield United personally to get into second place. But there's no doubt that this six-point swing this week has created a really interesting top two race for the neutral, which we both are and, of course, we both want to see. Yeah, definitely. It certainly made it more interesting from that perspective, no doubt about it. But for Sheffield United, really, it's been it's been a bad week for them. There's no, there's no way of disguising it and dressing it up because, you know, it started so well with that win over Swansea and then they've suffered back-to-back defeats, three points out of nine, whereas Middlesbrough have taken nine out of nine. So it's been a bad week for them. Every team, though, is entitled to a blip. It happens. But I think when you break the numbers down for the Blades now, it's it's one win in four. It is a little bit of a concern, but would we be as concerned if Middlesbrough were not charging up at such speed? No. So, you know, Middlesbrough, with what they're doing, the Blades can't control that, is, you know, 
making this a bit more of a concern for Sheffield United. But Paul Heckingbottom will be disappointed with the way, like you say, they defended for some of those goals on, on Saturday at Millwall. You know, Tom Bradshaw, you know, he had too much space for probably two of the three goals, to be fair. You know, the Blades didn't do didn't do enough on that score and it ultimately it cost them because the Blades' goals were very well taken, to be fair. So, but it, you know, the fact that in Millwall, as we say time and time again, it's a very difficult place to go. They're 10 unbeaten at home now. So... It is a bit of a concern, but I do think Paul Heckingbottom should remain grounded, remain calm. They've still got that four-point cushion. They've still got that game in hand. But the only thing that I would say about Sheffield United is, as I said a few moments ago with Borough's upcoming proper games, the Blades' fixtures in the coming weeks are not the easiest. You know, you look at the teams they've got to play, you know, in the next six weeks or so, they've got to play Watford on Saturday, never easy. Obviously, they got a point at Burnley in the week, so they've proven that they've got what it takes to compete with the top teams. You know, Blackburn away, it's a big game. Another, you know, team going for the playoffs. Luton, right up there. Sunderland, West Brom, Norwich. Burnley, they've still got to go to as well. Jeez, that is tough. You know, they've got a real crop of difficult fixtures, Sheffield United, coming up. So, And it doesn't really get much easier and probably until the last five games of the season where they are playing more of the teams towards the bottom of the league. So... You know, Middlesbrough's fixtures on paper do look easier, but we've seen Sheffield United time and time again, as they did to Burnley back in November. They can turn out a performance that is, you know, high, high level. They can really, you know, whip, whip teams and take them to the cleaners when they put their minds to it. So they've had a bit of a minor blip. They've had a bad week, but I think it's important that they get back to winning ways at the first possible opportunity when they play Watford on Saturday. Overall, they've been very, very good at Bramall Lane this season. Middlesbrough obviously caused them a bit of a scary midweek, but generally they've been very strong at home. And that's what the Blades will be looking towards. They've got to use that home form to the best of their ability just to keep plugging away. And, you know, like you say, I think you probably would lean towards Sheffield United with the fact they've got that game in hand at the minute. But with that crop of fixtures, I think they will be a little bit worried with the rate Middlesbrough coming up behind them. So... All of a sudden, we've got a race on our hands. I think that is fair to say. Nobody would have foreseen this coming. I think, you know, we were talking only two or three weeks ago about the top two battle being being done and dusted. It was already game over. All of a sudden, not anymore. It's going to get interesting. And like you say, for neutrals, it's going to be really interesting how this plays out. We've got a battle on our hands, that's for sure. Some credit for Millwall as well. Brilliant again. And they're just a different animal, aren't they, when they get the first goal? I think their record when they score first compared to when they don't, it's quite stark. I know most teams, obviously, you tend to win more games when you score first than when you don't, but I think we saw in midweek struggle to break down Coventry after going behind and then obviously get the first goal here. Did have to come, you know, get themselves back in front twice as well. But their form has been great for a sustained period as we we crunched some of the numbers on last week's podcast. Tom Bradshaw's doing very well, another hat-trick for him, and he certainly looks capable of scoring goals for them with a lot more fluency in and around him with Fleming, with Voltslammer, with Ollie Burke at the weekend, with Duncan Watmore, all these options to Gary Rowett and they certainly are a benefit and he's benefiting from it as well. Like we said last week, it's the best squad he's had since he's been in that job and you know, I think in a wide, wide open playoff race, I think Millwall have got just as good a chance as anyone and you know, for them, it's the home form that will be, you know, the backbone of it because it is such a difficult place to go. I know it's often a you know, it's often a cliche about the den being difficult, intimidating atmosphere and all that. But the truth is, it is it is really difficult to go there and get points. So, 
Millwall looking like ones that could really uh, send out a statement in this playoff race and only one point off fourth, let's not forget. They're only a point behind Luton, even though they're sat in sixth, you know, and the Blackburn are on equal points in seventh, so it's so tight. But Millwall, just as good a chance as anybody in this race. Right, let's take a trip to the bottom of the league now, George. Some significant results this weekend, starting at the John Smith Stadium. The King is back. Neil Warnock in the dugout for Huddersfield Town after being appointed until the end of the season. They win their first game, of course they do. Far better performance. It shocks nobody. More energy, more intensity. They got bodies in and around Birmingham and in and around their front two at the top end of the pitch. Stuck with the three-five-two system. And two fantastic finishes to win the game as well, coming from behind after a Troy Deeney had put them ahead. You kind of wondered, was that going to suck the, the air out of the John Smith Stadium? Was that going to burst the bubble? Um, no, it was not. No, Neil Warnock's too long in the tooth to allow that to happen. Two really good finishes from Hungbo first, scoring his first goal for the equaliser. And then Academy starlet Jaheim Headley got the winner and it was a superb finished arrowed into the bottom corner. He was on loan at Harrogate Town in League Two in the first half of the season. Took his chance yesterday and it was, a, as I say, a brilliant, hard, low strike. And you would just have to make... I don't think any manager ever guarantees survival, George. I don't buy into that. I certainly didn't buy into it when Mick McCarthy came in at Blackpool. But I tell you what, I'd be putting my money on Huddersfield Town finishing above that dotted line now. Neil Warnock's in the dugout. He just knows how to get the job done. Yeah, I doubt. I mean, I, can't, I just can't believe that he's back again. Just when you think you've got rid of him, back he comes. One last job, Sharon. One last job, Sharon, indeed. And then there'll be one more after this, then another one. He's, he, tell you, that bloke, he's never going to pack it in. But we all love him. That's the thing. He's a character. He's great. And, I mean, it was you that told me that he was coming back. You sent me a message last Monday. I was just randomly enough walking around Tesco. My phone pinged. And I, it, you, check this out. And I'm thinking, what the hell's this? And opened it up. I thought, Jesus Christ, here he comes again. The king is back. But I fully agree with you. I honestly believe he will keep them up. He's, you know, he just getting him to put pen to paper on a contract has boosted Huddersfield's hopes of survival tenfold. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I think he'll do it. I really do. And it, like you said, a significant set of results down at the bottom this weekend. And we'll come on to the others shortly. But Huddersfield, you know, they've been a far, far cry from what they were last season. And, it was always going to take something special to keep this team up with the, you know, the the, the drop off. You know, there's so many young players in that team. You know, players that really aren't that well known outside of Huddersfield. To be fair, but under Warnock now, their hopes of survival have been significantly boosted, and I honestly believe he he will keep them up. I really do. I think he's got that aura about him. He wants his teams to work hard, and you know even though they're in a really difficult situation at the minute, he'll probably try and make it as relaxed as possible, take it game by game, put some humour into it the way he is as an individual, as a character. And he made the perfect start of the weekend to have come from behind, you know, to have had the determination, the character to do that against a Birmingham team that, you know, have been up and down of late, obviously got that really good win against West Brom week last Friday and then lost to Cardiff in the week. So they are proving indifferent, but to have the ability to come back and find a way to get that win I think it's really significant for Huddersfield. Obviously, they'd had a bad week losing at Wigan, then getting you know annihilated at Stoke in midweek, even though it was only 3-0 at Loyola Cats. They were absolutely awful. So, I think Neil Warnock comes in there at the right time. Like you said, I only want to work 10 weeks a year. It's about the time when he's just about ready to step into the ring again and 
like I say, I really do think he'll keep them up. I've I've always liked him. I think he's a character of the game. He's, he's brilliant. And, you know, like he said in his press conference, you'd have to be a bloody idiot to take this job, but I'm a bloody idiot. So here I am. So let's just enjoy the ride and you never know. Bet you 20 quid. If he keeps them up, the statement comes out, end of May, we're delighted to say Neil Warnock is staying as manager for next season. I would not rule it out, but I honestly believe he will keep them up. And the strange thing is, had he not been snapped up by Huddersfield, you know, as we recalled this six days ago, QPR should have been on the phone to him tonight trying to get him in there for the rest of the season. He'd have been perfect to go back there. But Huddersfield have got him. And like I say, I, I do think he'll keep them up. I just think he's got that, you know, that aura about him. He's got the, you know, absolutely bucket loads of experience, hasn't he, at this level. And let's just see how it plays out. But perfect start for him. But the, the only thing for him that, might be a little bit of a challenge is that uh, obviously next up he takes a trip to Turf Moor to play Burnley. If he can topple them, then uh, I'm sure he can do anything. So difficult game coming up at the weekend against the Clarets, but perfect start for him. And here we go again. Massive week for Cardiff City, George. Back-to-back wins for them and back-to-back clean sheets. They beat Birmingham 2-0 in the week. Fantastic free kick from Perry and G and a strike from Callum Robinson. This time, Friday night game against Reading. Awful game, it has to be said. But a last gasp winner that Cardiff fans just don't care how bad it was. They don't care. They just want the points. Um, it was a fantastic strike as well from Romain. So he's probably the only piece of quality in the match. And that does move them four points clear of the relegation zone. It wasn't pretty, as I said. They got the job done. Clean sheets as well, which obviously, if you're not going to create many chances or goals, which Cardiff obviously quite well documented that they don't do that. They're pretty probably the worst attack in the in the division. Keeping the ball out the back of your net is absolutely imperative if you're going to pick up points in the championship. They're going to have to win these scrappy games. They've managed to get two over the line this week. And that undoubtedly gives them a massive, massive boost, which probably seven days ago when we last recorded, you couldn't see coming. Definitely not an awful. You've not even, you know, you've not even summed that up correctly. It was absolutely diabolical. I wasted Friday night watching that, and God knows why. I'm a glutton for punishment. I really am. It, it was a very, very poor game. You know, it was a very, very low standard football. And you could see where both teams are at this season and on the evidence that was shown. But Cardiff, to their credit, did deserve to win the game. They were the better of two poor teams, it must be said. They they created a gulf of chance in the second half and it just seemed like it wasn't going to be their night. And then, obviously, Romain Sawyers with a little bit of little bit of magic in the, the closing minutes to get the job done. And like you said, it, it capped off a, a really... Good week for Cardiff, really. And yeah, they lost to Middlesbrough at the start of it. But with the way Borough are going, I don't think you can be too critical of anybody losing to Middlesbrough at the moment. So six points having beaten Birmingham and, and Reading is, is a healthy return, a very good return. And I think more importantly for Sabri Lamucci is the fact they got two clean sheets in those games as well. That is a significant boost for him. And I think obviously with the way other results went over the weekend, it was vitally important that they got that win. The, you know, the four points clear of, of the drop of the drop zone at the minute you know it's uh, it's not the most healthiest of gaps but it's certainly a gap and something to build on but all of a sudden a couple of wins you know and they're they're up to the 40 point mark although so you know that it's a start it's it is a start it's a step in the right direction i think it's important not to get too carried away after this bearing in mind that this you know one of these two games was at home to Reading, who have been absolutely diabolical away from home this season but it certainly steps in the right direction. And Sabri Lamucci, 
you know, you could see at the end of the game on Friday night just how much it meant to him. The, the outcry of passion was evident to see. Um, so that things have, you know, improved this week. But I'll look ahead. Cardiff have got some difficult games coming up in the next couple of weeks. I mean, Norwich away at the weekend, then Bristol City at home the following week. Bristol City obviously been on upward curve in the last few weeks. And then they've got West Brom to come in the not-too-distant future as well. So they, they have got a difficult set of games still to come. I don't think you can get too carried away. But I'll tell you what, if this relegation battle is still, you know, relatively tight towards the end of the season, the fact that Cardiff have got Stoke and Huddersfield in two of their last three could make it very, very interesting if the situation is similar to what it is now. So all to play for. Cardiff, obviously, of the teams at the bottom leading the pack to get out of it. But, you know, at the moment, Cardiff fans just won't care how the wins come. They've managed to do that. You know, in the past week, winning at Birmingham, winning at Reading, two late wins as well. But two clean sheets, six points, it certainly steps in the right direction and hopefully for them, the sign of better things to come. That said, Reading were horrendous, weren't they? They were. They were were really, really poor. And very interesting post-match comments from Paul Ince where he said the players (laughs) weren't good enough to play football and then questioned why the reporter said that he said that, which was interesting. Um, honest verdict, it's it's fine line, isn't it? Because fans want to hear some honesty and the last thing fans want is platitudes when you've played horrendously and a manager tries to say that it wasn't that bad. But there's got to be a fine line where you go from honest to damaging. And if you're a Reading player listening back to that interview, I don't think it will fill you with inspiration or confidence. I think it's something like five wins in 21 now for Reading, which has probably gone under the radar how poor a run they are on over such an extended period of time. I think they've got enough to stay up, personally, George. I don't think they'll get dragged right into it. But I think it's definitely got some Reading fans questioning whether they need a change in the summer. Yeah. That that said, I will agree with Paul Ince on one thing. Mark McGinnis should have been sent off. He was out of control. It was high on the ankle. He should have been sent off. It was a yellow card. And that, that was a game-changing decision, ultimately, which had Reading gone in their favour, I, I would hesitate. I would be quite happy to edge my bets that they would have at least got a point from the game yeah, if they were playing a Cardiff team with 10 men. You know, with the physicality they've got up front, obviously losing McGuinness would have been a big blow for Cardiff. But just lastly on Reading before we move on, it's the contrasting difference between their home form, isn't it, and the away form. That's if you could break up everyone in the league and say there's yeah. there's 48 teams, 24 at home, 24 away, I think Reading away is probably the worst team of the 48. Well, I mean, you look at it, the, the home and away table is just startling when you look at it. Reading have got the sixth best home record in the division this year. They've taken 30 points at home. You know, they've won nine of their 15 on their own patch, only lost three. Then you look at the other side of the screen and look at the away table, 11 points from 17 away from home. So it's clear where the problems lie. They are just genuinely atrocious away from home. And it must be said, the performance at the at the weekend on Friday night was, it was abysmal, to be honest. It was really, really poor. So they've got to try and step it up. I don't think they'll get sucked into anything, but like you said, I do think come the summer they do need to look at something different. He has done a very good job, though. He has exceeded everyone's expectations. He has. Well, like I often every say, often like I often say every week, I thought he was going to be the first manager to get the boot this season. I really did. So you know, in that in that sense, he has done a lot better than we all in, you know all expected, but. A line has got to be drawn with what is, you know, tolerable and then expectations. So I do think they'll look to try something different next season. But, you know, overall, the season is probably going better than Reading hoped for. 
Blackpool, they got their first win under Mick McCarthy, George. They won 1-0 against Stoke City. But let's be fair, I don't know how they won 1-0 against Stoke City. Ian Pervader's deflected strike proved the difference, but boy, did they ride their luck. Great goalkeeping from Chris Maxwell and some very poor Stoke City finishing led to them missing several gilt-edged opportunities. And Blackpool get a clean sheet. They get the first win under Big Mick and it keeps them in contention of keeping themselves above the dotted line. Second bottom at the moment. It's very tight down there. It's been a really big week, as I say, in the relegation battle. I thought they were unlucky to lose to Swansea in the week. Blackpool, despite being down to 10 men, they've got to stop getting players sent off because the amount of red cards... I think they've got more red red cards than points this season or it's not far off. Like It's ridiculous how many players they've had sent off this season. But... If they didn't get the rub of the green at Swansea, they certainly got the rub of the green at Bloomfield Road. Stoke created an expected goals tally of 2.42 and yet fired a blank. Big win for Blackpool, but it doesn't particularly give me that much more confidence that they will stay up. If I'm being completely honest, maybe that's a bit harsh, but how sustainable is a team missing 2.42 XG against you? Not very, in my opinion. Exactly. It's, you know, it's a it's a significant anomaly if it was on a graph, wouldn't it? So... Yeah, like you say, it's, it's you know it's great that they got the win, but performance-wise, it wasn't exactly a step in the right direction. But you know, victories can do wonders for confidence, and time will tell for Blackpool if they can build on it. Even though performance-wise, there probably wasn't anything to build on, but result-wise, obviously there was. And you know, it, it's a really weird one for Blackpool because you know you break down their form the last four games; they have only actually lost once. It's the draws that have killed yeah, them. Yeah, but the last are they going to play easier run of fixtures? Well, Swansea aside, even Swansea away is not that difficult in the grand scheme. That's the thing. They've only managed to win one of those four games. So for Mick McCarthy, you know, when he went in there, I was like, he's going to keep him up. I was confident about it. I don't think he will. Maybe not so much now, now that they've come through that turn of games. And we said, didn't we, not that long ago when they lost at Middlesbrough? We said, didn't we? Um, that it was the games against Huddersfield, Rotherham coming up that would be definement for them. And they took two points from those two home games in the space of four or five days. So it's not going according to plan, let's be honest. Their next run of games, they've obviously got Blackburn away midweek. Then they go to Reading at the weekend. Then they've got Burnley. Then they've got Bristol City. So they've not got the easiest of run coming up, Reading, uh, Blackpool. You'd argue that Reading away is probably the easiest one. And Reading obviously are pretty good at home despite being so poor away. So a big period for, for Big Mick coming up. And, you know, it's almost as though he will probably look at it now and think, I probably thought we'd get a Huddersfield, but now Mr Warnock's gone in there, it might not be so easy. So Blackpool, all of a sudden, even though they won, the situation doesn't quite, you know, don't really feel that much better, to be honest. So I feel worse about them yeah, now than I did seven days ago, and they've won a game. <laughs> yeah, they were certainly, you know, in terms of performance, they were outclassed, but... You know, sometimes you just get those shades of luck and they got it at the weekend. So it's just about now a case of how can they respond to that. They are only two points from safety. It's not as if it's a you know an impossible mountain to climb. It's two points. You know, one victory and they could be out of it. So there's going to be many more twists and turns. The interesting factor is that all four teams currently in the bottom four have all played the same amount of games. There's no games in hand currently for any of them. So that makes it a little bit more interesting. So it's going to be a case of, you know, who can possibly put a run together from somewhere of two or three wins because that, you know, that could be all it takes. But, you know, it was a weird one at the, at the weekend because the results for four of the bottom five weren't that bad. But obviously there was one who we're going to come on to shortly, I'm, I'm going to presume, 
where things currently aren't looking so rosy. Absolutely. Um, Rotherham United, nil, Coventry City, two. Poor week for Rotherham, who shouldn't have lost at Reading in truth. Two poor goals to give away, having taken the lead. And some controversy about this one as well. John Hugel scored a header at nil-nil, which was ruled out for holding by the referee. Adolphin was the man adjudged to have fouled his man. Matt Taylor not happy about the result. Um, not happy about the decision, should I say, which, which had a huge bearing on the result, undoubtedly. Second half, the goals came for Jamie Allen and a revitalised revitalized Victor Jokerez, which proved decisive. Really good finish from Gjok after his one in the week. Rotherham just two points ahead of Huddersfield now. And I think a week ago, we were feeling pretty positive on Rotherham United. Two poor results, really. Especially, I feel like if you're going to win, if you're going to get stay up in the championship, you need to win these sort of games against teams in mid-table. And to not get anything from Reading away in Coventry at home is quite poor. And I'm just concerned about the rate the teams around them might pick up those points. And suddenly that momentum and that good feeling that came from a positive January window could be sucked out of the club relatively quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I think of the teams down there now, they are the ones that are, you know, on the on the biggest decline at the minute. They've got no no momentum whatsoever. And it's it's kind of strange because I actually said when they'd got that nil nil draw at home to Sheffield United They'd taken five points from Blackburn, Watford and the Blades. And that seemed like a really solid return at the time. You know, they kept two clean sheets in that run. But then since then, they've gone to Blackpool, they've gone to Reading, they've played Coventry and they've, you know, they've taken one point from those three games. And, you know, to break down the Rotherham, you know, a few Rotherham stats at the minute, it's one win in 12, five games without a win, scored one in the last four, and one win in the last seven at home. And for the Rotherham, home form's the concern, the form isn't it? was going to be the bedrock for them this season. It was always going to be. And at the start of the campaign, they were doing really, really well at home. All of a sudden now, they have lost that little bit of momentum at home, even though, you know, on the flip side, they have only lost one of their last three at home, keeping two clean sheets. But they failed to score in two of those three. So it's all swings and roundabouts and it all adds up. But... You know, of the teams down there at the weekend, you look at what, what happened. Wigan got a creditable point at home to Norwich, even though they should have won that game in the amount of chances they squandered. Blackpool won. Huddersfield won. Cardiff won. Rotherham are the ones now that are in in the decline and, and are really struggling. So they've still got a two-point cushion to the bottom three. It, you know, it, they, it's still in their hands to stay afloat. They have, you know, got a game in hand on Cardiff above them as well. So it's going to be a testing period, I think, for Matt Taylor and Rotherham. Because like you said, there was a lot of positivity around the, around the New York Stadium at the end of January. The recruitment was very good, a lot better than many of us you know, gave, gave them credit for at the beginning of the window that we thought they were going to be capable of doing. Because, you know, to be fair, you said, didn't you, that you thought Rotherham had come out of the window in a worse position squad-wise than they went into it. You know, obviously, they lost Dan Barr, so that was a big loss, but they recruited reasonably well. But you look at Rotherham's next crop of games and you would argue that their next seven are against teams that are not expected to really, you know, be significantly high up towards the end of the campaign, certainly say in the top three or four. You know, in the next run of games, they've got the likes of Birmingham, they've got Cardiff, they've got Hull to come, 
They've got Sunderland at home on Tuesday night, which is probably, I would argue, the hardest of their next crop of games. So it's a really testing time. Two of the next three are at home. So Rotherham have got to find something from somewhere because at the minute they are rapidly sliding down, you know, not sliding down the table because obviously they've been in this sort of position for a while. But in terms of the feel-good factor that have been generated, they are losing that now. And, you know, if I was a Millers fan, I would be concerned, particularly by the lack of goals. That's the big concern. They are struggling to put the ball in the net, even though I must admit I, I couldn't spot what on earth was wrong with that goal that they scored against Coventry on Saturday. I thought it was, I'll be honest, I looked at it about three or four times and I thought, what has the referee seen here? So in that, you know, in that scenario, you've got to feel sorry for them and Matt Taylor because if that is given, it could have been a completely different game. They could have gone on and won it. Who knows? But the reality is they lost the game, you know, from a Rotherham perspective, probably two really cheap goals to give away, even though from a Coventry perspective, they were, you know, they were reasonably well crafted. But the form is is a problem, and particularly at home, like you said. We always said at the very beginning of the season that the New York Stadium form was going to be the factor in them, you know, staying afloat in the championship this season. And it started off really, really well, but that's tailed off in the last couple of months. So they've got to find a way to put things right. But at the minute, you just can't see where the goals are coming from. 2-1-0 wins to round us off. Blackburn Rovers won Swansea City nil. First win in five for Rovers after four draws in a row. Late header from Daniel Ayala getting them the three points. It's the second late goal they've scored in a week after Ben Burton Diaz's free kick against West Brom on Wednesday night. And they hadn't scored an equaliser in the league, George, since April 2022. So a big week for them to get the goals and give themselves an extra three points with the equaliser and the, the goal in front. Um, poor first half from both teams in this one. They, both teams lacking ideas, lacking tempo and intensity in the match. Rovers paid far too much respect to Swansea, if, in my my opinion, who are you know keep the ball really well, can pin teams in. But let's be fair, they're a mid-table side with a soft underbelly. They had to get after them a little bit more. And in fairness, the changes that Yondal Thompson made at half-time worked. They changed the shape. They were playing a 3-4-3. It's the first time they played a back three since um, losing to Preston. And then went to 4-2-3-1, which is what they've generally been playing for the last 10 games or so. And that was key. They pressed much higher at the pitch. They penned Swansea in and they were far the better team in the second half, eventually getting that late goal from Daniel Ayala. Um, slight injury concerns with Bradley Dak and Ben Brereton Diaz going off with Knox. Hopefully not too serious from their point of view, but we'll find out more a little bit later in the week. Um, in terms of star performance, I want to single out Hayden Carter, who's been really good for a number of weeks now. Um, with with Dom Hyam, who'd been out for a month, just come back. Scott Walton's now out for two to three weeks. So Hayden Carter has taken his opportunity at centre-back and he's performed really well, man of the match, on Saturday. And Tyrese Dolan's having probably his best run inside this season as well. Started on the right-hand side um, in the 3-4-3, then moved to a number 10 position. Has been played up front in the last couple of games at Watford and West Brom. He offers a lot off the ball, so that that sort of false nine role kind of works where he, he with the qualities that Thomason's looking for in his striker to press, to harry, to harass. Is he an actual goal scorer? I think he's got that part of his game still to develop, but certainly he's lively. He works hard. He's got quick feet. He can beat a man. He's got a trick. And he was their best creative output with Bradley Dack on the bench at the weekend. 1-0 win um, and puts them level on points with the top six. You know, them and Millwall both level on points now on in sixth place. Yeah, I mean, Blackburn have been up and down, haven't they? And you, obviously, you know better than, than anyone really about Blackburn's fortunes. It's been a little bit underwhelming at the start of this calendar year, but 
a positive week by all accounts. It's been one of those those runs bad. where suddenly they're unbeaten in five, whereas if they'd lost they on Saturday, it's no win in five. That's the, that's the thing. It's the draws, isn't it, that have, that have been obviously the, the killer for, for Blackburn, but they're still in there. They're still in the conversation. And, you know, I've said it for a few teams this evening. They've got as good a chance as anybody. And, you know, I think the thing for Blackburn is obviously they'd be, they were, obviously they came flying out of the traps at the start of the season. They set such a high standard and never really fully recovered from that Burnley defeat just prior to the World Cup. But they're still there. They're still in the conversation. And you've got to say that this coming week, even though the Neil Critchley departure at QPR no doubt throws a spanner in the works with the new manager syndrome and all that. I think curse. it's something like the but, ninth time Blackburn have played a team this season where they've either got an interim manager in charge or it's the first game of the new manager. The record is astounding. Me, you often give me homework, so there's your homework. You're the Blackburn man. You work that one out. Oh, I, well, I know it's the ninth. There you go. Gosh, we are cocky. I didn't he pull that number grinning. out of my head. He says grinning. But you look at this week, Blackpool at home, QPR away, you know, Blackburn should be looking at that and thinking six points. It, it, it's a you know it's a couple of games where they're going to be on paper, certainly in terms of league position, they're going to be the favourites. They will be expected to beat Blackpool at home on Tuesday night, even though Blackpool obviously are going to come there, you know, determined to build on, albeit a fluke victory at the weekend, but they'll be looking to build on something. And then, you know, for, for Blackburn, they've got a big game of Sheffield United at the start of March, but then they've got Stoke and then they've got Reading. So Blackburn, you know, four of the next five, they're going to be favourites in. So they've got a, a favourable run of fixtures coming over the next four weeks or so. So I personally believe that Blackburn, if they can get out of those five games, if they could get a haul of 10 points, I think that would be a really good really good period for them. So I think that's the challenge for Yondal Thomason's men now. They've got to just try and build on what they got at the weekend. Yep, it wasn't overly pretty by all accounts. 1-0, you know, not exactly massively convincing, but a win is a win. And I always say them gritty 1-0 wins can often be the best wins, the most important and most defining. So... For Rovers, I think, you know, they're still in a good position. They've not dropped out of the... They've not been out of the top eight all season. They've not ended a single match day outside of the top eight. You know, for all the criticism that they faced in the, you know, in the weeks after the Burnley game where things did go really poor, they've still been up there and in and around it. So, I think they'll be in the conversation. I do think they've got a good chance. I think they've got, you know, the players in there that can... You know, influence games. Ben Brereton Diaz is obviously he's not been as prolific this season, but he proved at West Brom he's still got the capabilities to conjure something up out of nothing. So, I just think you look at that period of next five games for Blackburn, and that could be where the season could be could be won or lost for them. They've got to get a good haul of points. The fixture list on paper looks reasonably favourable. The game against Sheffield United obviously stands out as being the toughie in there, but the rest of them they'll be favourites. And like you say, they're on equal points with Millwall in sixth. They're on equal points as well with Sunderland in fifth. You know, they're only a point off fourth. And, you know, there's been a lot of kind of discontent shown towards the way Apathy. they've played and, and things like that. There's been a lot of frustration. But they're still in a damn good position. You know, I mean, we're recording this on, on Sunday evening. Watford play West Brom on Monday night. So Watford, if they win that, they will go ahead of Blackburn. But still, they'll, they'll be in eighth. They'll be in a really strong position. I just think, you know... It's this upcoming period that could be definitive for Blackburn in this season. So we'll see how they get on. I think the best thing for Blackburn is to review the situation in the next, you know, three or four weeks, 
see where they're at. But they've got that win and they've given themselves now a little bit of a springboard to build on. But Blackpool at home Tuesday night, that's got to be another three points if they're serious about getting in the top six. Yep, totally agree. No reason why they can't take six points in the next week. And finally, George, I don't think we've ever rounded off with Burnley, but we're going to, and they beat Luton Town 1-0. A scrappier-than-usual win for the Clarets. They had to mix it and show that they can do that, as well as the silky, lovely football that we've been waxing lyrical about all season. Handball from uh, from Osho for the penalty. Lockyer remarkably sent off for two yellow cards because of dissent, as the club captain, not a great look. Um, Ashley Barnes converting the penalty and a big three points for Burnley. Some bookmakers have now paid out on Burnley winning the championship, which I think probably sums up where we're at with them. Yeah, I guess so. But really, it's been a it's been a bad week for Burnley, hasn't it? Seven points out of nine. It's it's very very poor for their standards. Company it's out. Been, I think so. Get him out. I think you know, get someone else in. I would say and get Warnock in if he weren't having been snapped up. But yeah, seven points from nine. Disgraceful that, to be fair. But in all seriousness, now they, they march on, don't they? they? Just keep going and going. Even you know when they looked like they were finally going to lose on on Tuesday night at home to Watford, they obviously popped up with that last gasp equaliser from Obafemi. Went to Luton, needed a penalty to get the job done, but they found a way, and that's what champions do. They find a way to win games. Another clean sheet for the collection, and obviously with the blades slipping up, they're now eleven points clear uh, of second place. So I think you know. I think the ribbon, the blue, the claret and blue ribbon can start to be tied around the championship trophy. Now, I've really just, I can't see Burnley blowing the 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 lead that they've got with the games that remain. And you know, I've been blown out the water a little bit with being relatively confident that they'd win every game between now and the end of the season. That's obviously gone with that draw against Watford, but they could easily go and beat. I think for the rest of the season. However, Millwall away on Tuesday night. That is not an easy one for Burnley. I think, you know, if they're going to lose one, that could be the one because Millwall obviously are absolutely brilliant at home. They've seen off Sheffield United at the weekend. Confidence will be high. But, you know, Burnley beyond that, what what a run they've got. They've got three. They've got the current bottom three in the next four games. They've got Blackpool away, Wigan at home. uh, Huddersfield at home, I should say, then Blackpool away, then Wigan at home. So you'd expect Burnley realistically the next... Four games, I think if they can get 10 points, that big a return. Millwall, obviously, the really difficult one in that. But the champions elect, they're going to get the job done. And, you know, I, th- I still think they could surpass Reading's total of 106 from 2005-06. Three draws in the championship this weekend. Sunderland won, Bristol City won. The wait is over. Bristol City have had a penalty after 469 days. Naki Wells scoring in stoppage time to get them a point at the stadium. Would have liked cancelling out an absolute screamer from Jack Clark. And then really nothing to report from Hull City nil, Preston North End nil, or Wigan nil, Norwich nil. And that rounds up this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, moving on to our shocks and... Right, George, moving on to our shocks and bankers now for the upcoming weekend. What have you got for me? Well, for a banker, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with... um... Where is it now? Where's it gone? I'm going to go for Millwall to win at Stoke as my banker. Millwall doing really, really well at the minute for the reasons we just alluded to. Stoke being, you know, largely poor in the uh, in the last few months have been a bit up and down. So fancy Millwall in that one for a banker. In terms of a shock for this weekend, I'm going to go for something really, really brave, and I'm going to go for Huddersfield to win at Burnley. Why not? Let's go for it for of a course laugh. You are. Neil Warnock and all that. If that comes in, 
I'm going to laugh so hard. But no, um, yeah, let's go for it. I'm going to go for Huddersfield to win at Burnley as, a, as my shock. So Millwall the banker, Huddersfield the shock. For my banker, I am going to go with... Uh, what am I going to go with? It's quite tough this week, isn't it? Is he going to make it a hat-trick? It's quite difficult this week. I think I'm going to go for Norwich to beat Cardiff. Although Cardiff have had back-to-back wins, I think that Norwich, having dropped a few points recently, they're probably due to give someone, well, not give someone a spanking. And go for Middlesbrough again at West Brom. No, I'm not that brave. Um, No, I'm going to go for Norwich because although, well, they did obviously beat Hull in midweek 3-1. They've not been on the best run of form lately, but I still think that they can probably put some goals past Cardiff. I'm not convinced Cardiff are suddenly going to start beating all the better teams. I don't think they, they, they've got the quality in the squad to do that, but I think they probably have turned enough of a corner that they can get points against the teams in and around them, in and around sort of that bottom half or teams in, in poor form at, at home. I don't think Norwich particularly fall into that category. So I'm going to go for Norwich to beat Cardiff. And then my shock, I'm going to go for Wigan to win at Preston. Wigan have been much improved under Sean Maloney. They've taken... Five points from the first three games, which is a really good return. Preston are absolutely awful at Deepdale as well. They just can't buy a win. Don't it's score goals nice. either. Would that be a shock? Well, <laughs> I think Preston are at home. Given one of them's away, given we're talking about away bottom of the oh, league, yeah, I'm going to go with yes. Um, so I'm going to go for Wigan <laughs> to beat Preston as my shock and Norwich to beat Cardiff City as my banker. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from, whether that be on Apple, Spotify, or Google, or any other platform that you use. Make sure you're subscribed and you'll get the latest episodes from us every single week. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please go and check them out for any of your business needs at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and we'll catch you again next time for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.